0: You all ready in there? Okay. Many uh, think of the Dharma um, as the teachings, and there, there are. As most of you know, there are many, many, many teachings. There are many lists: the Four Noble Truths the Noble Eightfold Path, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, the Itipadas, the Spiritual Faculties, the Hindrances, the Kilesas, the Paramis, and list upon list upon list. But the real Dharma is uh, the real Dharma is the living Dharma. It's the It's the one you're experiencing right here. And the real Dharma, if we open to what we're experiencing right here, the real Dharma is, I don't know. I don't know. We all, if we're really in touch with the real Dharma, no matter how many teachings we've heard, if we're in touch with the real Dharma, we all come empty-handed, so I thought I would talk about that a little bit, and then, since I came empty-handed tonight, <laughs> I would also like to hear from you uh, at some point in the evening to find out if you have any questions, uh, any descriptions. What's happening in your practice? What's happening? What is what you're noticing? Uh, you can describe what you experienced recently, or you can exp- you can describe what you're actually experiencing in real time here tonight. And perhaps we can all just live together for a change in the real Dharma, with the real knowledge that we don't know, that we're empty-handed. What do I mean by that, don't know? Do we have any idea what will happen next? Simple question. We have ideas about what will happen next, but... We really don't know. That's the truth of our existence, uncertainty, uh, not knowing. This is the central teaching, in the, especially in the Korean Zen tradition. Some of you may have heard of the Zen master uh, Sansanim. He was a, a Korean monk who came to America, was sent by his teacher, and to set up, uh, to form a sangha. And the teacher sent him to Providence, Rhode Island, and in order to uh, just get to know the community and make a living, and he went to work uh, fixing or fixing washing machines in a in a um, laundromat. And he went in his robes, and people started coming to uh, notice this strange-looking guy and pretty soon they were interested in what he represented, what he had to say, and then they got him an apartment, and pretty soon he had people. Now he has centers all over the world, all started in the laundromat. Don't know. His central teaching was uh, to keep, the recommendation to keep, to develop a passion for what he calls don't know mind. He would say, who are you? You think you know, you don't know. Keep don't know mind. And then, as all good Zen masters do, he'd hit you. You know, Don't know. Don't know. And this is really, um, this is central to our practice. And it seems that the beings who are most attuned to nature, most attuned to the the rhythms of, of nature to uh, th- this don't know doesn't mean that we're not keenly aware, vigilant, attentive. But people like the Mokan tribe that I've spoken about a lot here, uh, that tribe that survived the, the tsunami, that big tsunami several years ago, the Mokan lived next door to a a more a more acculturated more modern acculturated tribe that wasn't they weren 't as tuned into the ways of the of the sea and the ways of nature, and they perished, and their next door neighbor the Mokan, survived the tsunami because they were very attentive to what 's actually happening, not assumptions about what will happen, not um, In fact, in their vocabulary, they had no word for when. No word for want, no word for when. So they they tend to live outside of time where their mind wasn't obsessed as we are with what's next. So this don't know doesn't mean that you're not keenly attuned to what's actually happening. In fact, this weekend I... I realized that we have a a tremendous kinship as lovers of mindfulness. We have a tremendous kinship with the the animal world, those who live in the wild. I was fortunate enough to be invited to a slideshow by a South African man who works as an animal tracker in the bush of Zambia. And his... It has become his spiritual practice. To uh, it's become the source of his spiritual nourishment. To live among the the, the wilds with the different, um, with the lions and all the cats and the birds and the, all the different predator, those eating and those being eaten, and his. And the way he described, after living with these animals now for the last many, many, many years, is that their, uh, their secret is this incredible vigilance, this incredible attention, not to how things can turn out, but to exactly who's there, who in real time you need to be afraid of, who you need to communicate with, where is your territory? What's the weather? What's the situation? Very immediate. That kind of knowing is, um, it's, it's not as though not knowing is a, it's not blindness. It's not obliviousness. It's not being checked out. It's, being, it's knowing what you can know, but not assuming uh, what you don't know. And our biggest issue is that we tend to assume that we know what will happen. As you all have heard some of the famous Yogi Berra sutras, teachings, one in particular, he said, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So we have to keep don't know mind, appreciate that we don't know. From Pablo Neruda, what we know comes to so little, what we presume is so much, what we learn so laborious, we can only ask questions and die. (laughs) Better save all our pride for the city of the dead and the day of the carrion there when the wind shifts through the hollows of your skull, it will show you all manner of enigmatical things, whispering truths in the void where your ears used to be. Keep don't know mine. So this is a reminder that there's a great oppression in being uh, in a in certainty about how things will turn out. Or at least learning to f- be in harmony with uncertainty, with ambiguity, to develop, as it's talked about in psychology, to develop ambiguity tolerance. And those who can't develop ambiguity tolerance tend to cling very tightly to uh, how it should be, could be, will be, and we live then in a in a state of great fear. And fear is never about what's actually happening. Fear is always about what some projection or some assumption about what will happen. The beauty of practice is fear can be our reminder. Fear can be our Dharma door, a reminder that we have... Um, that we've entered into terrain that we don't know so well and that it's not possible to know. The future is unborn. But can we live with the uncertainty without dread, without, without it being a source of such fear? Can we live with a certain interest and excitement about what's next? And be able to settle back and find a place of trust in things just the way they are. That's that's central to the Buddhist teachings. Yata Buddha, things as they are. So we're just like the. What really helps the animals function, survive, is having the same. We the, we need the same kind of attention and vigilance in our own life not hyper to the point where it's, where it's um, grasping and tense and at any point uh, certain that the world, the sky is falling, but rather a relaxed but continuous attention, but, but imbued with the quality of receptivity, the quality of letting go of letting life be. If we hold on, if we stay in a state of fear and have vigilance mixed with fear, then it's, we get rope burn. We get, we, we get tense. Our whole body freezes. Now some of us have come to the state of fear, our fear body really innocently from, from years of uh, having the present moment be a source of uh, unsafety. The way we've been talked to, the way, the kinds of violence, the kinds of uh, psychological uh, aggression, uh, just the intensity of, of life lived where there's where there's so much greed, hatred, and ignorance. And so we have to we have to be merciful and be have to work with our with our. Uh, Pain bodies, our fear bodies, but we have to work with it all in the service of learning to find a calm abiding uh, in this very moment. To find a way of letting go, letting things be, knowing that it's it, even though everything in us wants to to be coiled and ready, that it it is relaxation. It is ease of being. It's letting go that allows us to be, actually be respons- responsive to, uh, to danger or to uncertainty. So the, the teachings say, do everything, as Ajahn Chab puts it so beautiful, do everything with a mind that lets go. Let go of knowing. You'll know even in one moment that if you let go... As he says, you'll have a little peace. And if you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace and freedom. This is not what we're taught to do, is to let go. We're taught to hold on. We're taught to obsess. We're taught to worry. As Hafiz put it, now that all your worry has proved to be such an unlucrative business, why not find a better job? The Hopi elders, it says a recent, me- this was printed as a recent message from the Hopi elders. I think this was about 20 years ago, but it's still relevant. I'll read the whole thing, even though there are certain parts that are maybe more relevant to our conversation. Quote You have been telling the people that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. And there are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are your relationships? What are you doing? Are you in right relation? This whole conversation is about right relation to life. Where is your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth. Create your community. Be good to each other. And do not look outside yourself for the leader. This could be a good time. There is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel that they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. Know the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above the water. See who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. Do this right now. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. So you get the spirit of letting go. I know I've read this a hundred times here, but it seems relevant tonight. Kind of holding on to knowing, holding on to views and opinions, assumptions about how things are. It's causes pain, so Ajahn Sumedho suggests that that the practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You simplify your meditation practice down to just two words, letting go. Rather than try to develop this practice and develop that and achieve this and go into that and understand this and read the sutras. Study Abhidharma, learn Pali and Sanskrit, the Majamaka, the Prajnaparamita, get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, as my friend Wes adds, the Hahayana, write books and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism. Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. I did nothing but this for about two years, every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya, radiating love throughout the world. But instead, I suggest just being an earthworm. Letting go of the desire to radiate love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows knows only two words. Let go, let go, let go. You see, ours is the lesser vehicle, the Hinayana. So we have only these simple poverty-stricken practices. The Hinayana is the pejorative uh, uh, word used to describe the Theravada Buddhist tradition, the tradition of southern, the southern Buddhists, the S- Sri Lanka, um, Thailand, Cambodia, the Theravada countries. But he doesn't stop there, which reminds us of that of the, even though we live in this don't know and we let go into the sense of immediacy, the secret, the secret of finding our composure is, is mindful attention, that knowing what's actually happening. He says the important thing in the meditation practice is to be constant and resolute in the practice, determined to be awake and awakened. This is not to be conceited or foolish, but resolute even when the going is rough. Remind yourself of the Buddha, the capacity to be awake, the Dharma, things as they are, the teaching, the Sangha, community. And stay with it, letting go of despair, of anguish, letting go of pain, of doubt, of everything that arises and passes that we habitually cling to and identify with. Keep this letting go like a constant refrain in your mind so it just pops up on its own no matter where you are. So this is asking us to live in what Ajahn Buddhadasa calls voidness, openness, emptiness. It means to be willing to know that our natural state, the state of discovery, the state of freedom, is a state of don't know. It's a state of pure openness, unstructured. As Nisargadatta puts it, is expressed negatively as there's nothing wrong with me I have nothing to worry about after all the ultimate purpose of all practice is to reach a point where this conviction instead of being only verbal is based on actual ever present experience which experience? the experience of being empty uncluttered by memories and expectations it's like the happiness of empty spaces open spaces of being young of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in nothingness, the emptiness of all content. True happiness has no cause, and what has no cause is immovable. So this don't know, this natural state, you could say, is, uh, is unshakable. It's your It's home. So you might as well get used to it, because we really don't know, and our, we, do, we live literally in the perpetual unknown, and we only imagine that this and this and this will happen. And some of that's useful to imagine, to be able to think, to be able to project. But we try in our practice not to mistake our ideas about things for reality. The real reality is open, is creative, is every all possibilities. Do you feel that right now that you that anything can happen? That, does that translate into you can be anything, or have you? Does your mind immediately come in with the conviction that there's that you have some limitation? that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with this moment. There's something wrong, wrong with the world. This is the trance of time. This is the trance of knowing that we, dis- we dispel by just simply noticing what's happening at the five or six doors of perception just here, just like the lions, with eyes wide open, what can they really know? Their senses completely attuned. They see, they hear, they smell, they taste, they intuit because they're gathering information continually. But it's but their their mind is not projecting uh, fear. So Rumi suggests how we live our life. We should live it like uh, with the understanding that this being human, this is the words of Rumi, this being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor Welcome and entertain them all, even if there are a crowd of sorrows who empty your house of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. She may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Everything reminding us of our place in the family of things. And Wendell Berry says, When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life or what my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I read that again. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their life with the forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. We have such a tendency to overlook this open secret that the relief we're looking for is the very nature of our own minds as the Hopi person said we are the ones we've been waiting for last one I just read was Wendell Berry so what's happening with you? I don't know. Yay! <laughs> right answer. <laughs> right answer. Please. So uh, magically, my topic aligns with exactly what you're going through. Oh, Eckhart Tolle, but. Back and forth between a painful memory of someone else's words and. And what they the future And what they said the future will look like. Uh huh. Sorry. Now you're imagining all the negative things, yes. So that's why we have to really, as a balance to our mind's fertile. A capacity to project the imagined future and often make a case against how things will turn out. Because of that, we need the balance of that sense of immediacy, and just keep asking ourselves, "What's really happening here?" And unless you can, unless you can find whatever it is on present evidence—I mean, really present—then it's really of the mind; it's imaginary. Again, it's wonderful that we can imagine, that we can think about what's going on in different parts of the world. We don't want to abandon that capacity, but at the same time, we don't want to miss that you're sitting here tonight, and I'm sitting here tonight. We're sitting here together, and we're lucky, I think. Like the uh, haiku someone wrote during a retreat at Spirit Rock. Walking meditation, five deer, watching five walkers, watching five deer. Great. I'll read it again. Walking meditation, five deer, watching five walkers, watching five deer. One person sitting with a hundred others. You know, each of us is sitting with a hundred others. Talking, sitting, hearing, feeling, probably many all us feeling something different. Can we just experience that without embellishing it with great meaning? And if we're embellishing it with great meaning, noticing that too. Wow, my mind is really building a mountain about this tonight. Okay, that's what that's like. Don't know, mind. Don't know. Now, it didn't hurt any to release the future for a few moments. It doesn't hurt. Your life didn't come crumbling down when you forgot your identity for a few moments. When you forgot your plans, it doesn't hurt. In fact, you'll probably attend to everything you need to very much better. And you can Feel free to pick up your identity again if you need it. You don't really need it though. You can just be open. You think I'm busy here f- with thinking about my identity? Just talking and seeing, hanging out. It's not that complicated. And sometimes we're so flooded that we, we can't do that so easily. But in the moments you can. Exploit it. Exploit your vigilance, your presence, your simplicity. It's not that hard. I'm reminding myself. My daughter does this so naturally. You know, eight and a half. She doesn't even know what day it is. Still. She's drawing right up until one minute before... She has to go out the door for school. She goes, whoa, oh, I, do I have a school day today? It seems to work. It may not work when she has a job, but <laughs> but, I, but we can all learn about the moments that we can be just like her. And, uh, you know, be discerning enough to know when we, we can't be like her, but... We could all stand a lot more don't know moments, just immersed in life. Anyway, I'm beating, I'm going on and on. Any other comments, please, Madison? There was room. I still don't get it. Cause if I think about it logically. It seems like they didn't do anything. And, and I'd love to have you maybe comment, comment on that. But it was um, it was fair. I mean, really knows the rewards. Every time I think about the time I spend in meditation, I think I really should be doing something else. Yes. I think you said everything. that... Often we think that when we're meditating we should be doing something else. But if you really give yourself those moments of simple presence, it, it actually creates space in our mind. And our life can, even, even though we have all kinds of, as I know you do, all kinds of challenges, it can feel like there's room. There's room to breathe, like you can still be happy, even, even when things are completely uncertain and up in the air. And I had also had the same experience. Uh, I thought it was a really joyous event. So next time, at the end of this month, everybody's got to come. <laughs> it's so fun to sit four hours, sit and walk. Here's a note that I got after Saturday. I want to thank you for the half-day retreat on Saturday from Chris. I, was, I don't want to out the person who said it, but her name's Chris. I hadn't really thought about what what it would be like to do a retreat in San Francisco before. It was very powerful to participate in a retreat close to home. It reminded me that the practices of mindfulness and meditation need not be tied only to spirit rock. I can have the experience here. I enjoyed doing walking meditation in the same space that passers-by were walking to their destinations. I love that the guy knocked on the window, helping us think about him and our response to his behavior in a new way. These were the very reasons I live in San Francisco. The more I can meditate in the midst of the city, the more compatible the practice becomes with urban life. I feel like this retreat helped me integrate the practice more fully into my life here. Thanks so much for putting it together. Often we think we have to remove ourselves to to find any kind of relief, and it really is just intensifying our presence a little bit. It has a a trickle-down. And hopefully you don't just save it for the sitting period with a group that you do that you bring that kind of presence all day long make the commitment from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and your fast paced city that we rail against that we blame for all our problems turns into a a Buddha field to a you know divine play it's possible at least for a time anyway so we do have to call it a night and i we will make some space for more q and A perhaps next week, but uh, just want to thank you for listening and and uh, a reminder to keep don't know mind um, and all, as we usually do, just to consider that if there's been any benefit to us being together that um, that we um, that we share. Those benefits we share; those blessings, remembering that we we live interdependently with everything and everyone, and so we we can just accentuate the appreciation that our practice does have an impact, can have an impact, and we wish that our practice uh, helps. Uh, all beings be happier, more peaceful, feel more safe, protected, healthy, strong, and that all beings by virtue of our practice can have more ease in their hearts and a sense of well-being. And to dedicate our practice today and every day to the welfare and benefit of others, not just for ourselves. May all beings be free and may all beings... Cultivate don't-know mind and develop serenity and equanimity for things uh, that we don't know. May all beings be happy. Thank you. Just a brief, uh, gentle reminder about the room rental Donna and the teacher Donna baskets there. They make it possible for us to be here. Thanks for your generosity. It's another practice of letting go. (laughs) And uh, a reminder that I'll be doing a day-long retreat on March 17th at Spirit Rock. And it will be, uh, it's an experienced students, which includes all of you. <laughs> I don't know whether it does, but uh, experienced students, and it will be on, uh, on the concept of time. It's called We're All Doing Time. And uh, it will be, uh, hopefully it will be some fun. And we'll talk about some of these matters and others as well. Thank you, and thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your practice, and please be mindful.